How do you do, neighbor? It's Marie and Spirits time once again. The boys have gathered around, and they're ready for you. So join in, make comments, and study with the guys as they try to study as the Bereans did in Acts chapter 17. Now, here's the guys. We can't hear you, Chris. Chris. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, wait a minute. I think I'm muted. (laughs) Oh, man. My name is Chris Peltz. Welcome back to Berean Spirits. A couple of things before we get started. I want to make sure and let folks know. Of course, we do appreciate everyone who tunes in and listens on Facebook, on YouTube. But we are now on Spotify and some other Uh, podcast apps and so be sure and search on your favorite podcast um, app for Berean Spirits and uh, and let us know if if you find us if you're not let us know we'll try to get on those apps but I know we're on Spotify Google what else Richard Amazon Music Amazon Music okay yeah and uh uh yeah like various ones but uh on iTunes check Carney Church of Christ and see if you can't find us on Carney Church of Christ. On Apple Podcasts? Yeah. Okay. All and, right. Uh, but like I said, if you're, if one of our listeners is checking, uh, if they're on a different platform, just let us know and we'll try to get on it. Yeah, absolutely. So so yeah, if you can't listen to it all uh, during the live stream or you want to uh, catch something later and you want to do it through a podcast app, be sure and search for us, Berean Spirits on your favorite podcast app or uh, on Apple Podcasts, search for Carney Church of Christ and uh, and see if uh, you can find us there as well. As I said, my name is Chris Peltz. I'm with the Southside Church of Christ in Springfield, Missouri. Richard Dodson with the Carney Church of Christ in Carney, Missouri. How you doing today, Rich? I'm fantastic. Thank you. Absolutely. And we got Mr. Josh Thornhill with the Brookmead Church of Christ in Johnson City, Tennessee. How you doing over there in Eastern Tennessee, Josh? I'm doing all right. Awesome. All right. So, guys, we're going to be talking about tools of deception. And I know there's a lot of ways that this conversation could probably go. There's a few things for sure we want to talk about. And one of which is the redefining of terms and how people use uh, certain words, because, you know, there, there's a there can be a lot of differences. We can say the same thing and mean so many different things uh, just by the words that we use. Uh, For example, um, you know, baptism, you know, a lot of folks understand that baptism is immersion, but in the religious world, you know, people use baptism to talk about sprinkling or pouring and also, uh, you know, what it's for. They, they redefine or reuse that word in, in various ways and talk about being baptized when in fact it may not be what the Bible is talking about. And there are other terms and specifically, I, I think, uh, we ought to talk about not only the word, um, faith, but also the word church, the word pastor, uh, there's all kinds of things that I, I think people use or misuse and and have redefined where we can use these terms but be talking about you know just uh, you know completely different things. For example, the word church. You know, if we talk about the word church and what most people think of today and the way they use that particular word, 
they think of a building. They they literally think of the the meeting house, uh, and and that's what people point to, and they say that's the church. So, you know, let's go to the church. Let's go, uh, you know, and work at the church. Um, and, and that is a, a gross misrepresentation of how the scriptures, in fact, use that particular word and, and what it means. And it loses value in, uh, in, in our understanding when we read the scriptures in and of itself. And so, um, you know, I think maybe that'd be the first one that we could talk about. And, you know, Josh, if you want to, either define or, or kind of go through a little bit of how the word church is used in scripture. Um, if you look at just simply the way words are used, uh, like I think sometimes we can uh, kind of look at a definition and we can uh, tend to, you know, come to a conclusion, but that's not really the way the word is used. Um, at least in, in the New Testament, the the word uh, there's a lot of words like the words that are translated church, grace, faith uh, that had uh, secular contexts in the first century and were used in normal conversation outside of a religious context. And so, uh, grace and faith and and the church were not words that are just kind of created in, in the New Testament in order to. Uh, define, you know, the the reality of, you know, the our, our faith in Christ, but um, they take concepts that these people already use and make spiritual application of them. And church is one of those, and it comes from the the Greek word ekklesia, which simply means an assembly. Uh, it, it means a group of people. And so, if you were to define or kind of look at the way it's used. If you were to, in the in our just in in the the world today, if you were just to divide all of the population between those with red hair and those without, you're either you're in one of the, one group or the other. You either have red hair and you're part of the group of the red haired, or you're not. And I think that's the concept of of the church. You have the saved, the group of the saved people. And if you're saved, you're part of the church. You're part of the saved, the group, the body of saved people. If not, then you're not part of the church. You're not part of the Lord's people. And so we can get it. And that's used, obviously, in a couple of different senses. Obviously, that would be the universal sense in which we use that. Uh, the body of believers, the body of the saved in a universal sense, and that regardless of location, uh, but we also have that used in a local sense, and often through the New Testament, it's used in a local sense as well uh, to describe a, a group of people that have gathered together in a particular location in order to do the work of the Lord, uh, just as such as the, the three of us are part of. We are part of local congregations, uh, groups of, of Christians who have gathered to uh, work in that given area. And so, the, again, the church is not a building, as Chris had said, and I, and I think even as Christians, we uh, tend to kind of mix up our wording. Like we'll drive down the road and it's like, oh, there's a church there. I know what we mean, you know, but you know, we tend to even say that. And I'm not going to be too big of a stickler on that, but because uh, you know, I understand, you know, how, what we mean by that. But you know, we do we we do sometimes confuse our own terms. And so 
having a proper understanding though, I think is key to properly understanding what the church is and what it's meant for and how we can be part of it and how we can use our role in an effort that will bring glory to God. Acts chapter two is a good place to go to illustrate what Josh is saying. Uh, if you go to Acts chapter two and verse 47, and uh, if you look at the King James version, uh, the last sentence there in, in uh, Acts chapter two and verse 47 says the Lord added to the church and that word church there is ecclesia. And it says the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Now, if you go to some newer versions like the ESV, it says the Lord added to their number. And so he didn't say the Lord added to the building. Uh, he's, he was talking, as Josh said, about the body of the saved, those members who the Lord added uh, to the body of Christ. And, and that is the church. That's, that's the church that Jesus built. And it doesn't matter, for instance, if the church was a building, then we would have a hard time for, with some churches who don't have a building to meet in because there are places in this world where churches do not have buildings. Uh, they'll, they'll meet outside in, in various places. But uh, uh, in this country, in the United States, it's quite common, as Josh said, for people to see a building and say, that's a church. And uh, a lot of times it's even, you know, set apart by having a steeple or a cross on top or, or something of that nature. But biblically speaking, Josh is dead on. Uh, church is ecclesia, meaning uh, it, it's the body of the saved. And so when we're talking about the church, it is important to understand exactly the way the Lord intended for the meaning uh uh, for the for the word church to mean, so that we can have the proper understanding of it. Now the question becomes, and I'll throw this to Chris. Chris, what might what might a false teacher how how might he use that word church to help promote some something false? Yeah, well, there's several different ways that the word church is used to promote something uh, false or a, a false idea, and one of which would be in denominationalism. And, and how a, a church would be uh, established or divided. And, and the use of the term, um, you know, church, like what, what church are you a part of or what church do you go to? Uh, and, and, and looking at, as you guys have already defined and shown how the word church is used in Scripture, for example, you've got the church universal, the body of Christ, and then you have local congregations like the churches of Galatia, or Romans 16, verse 16, the churches of Christ, local congregations, which is another you know, way of looking at church as congregation. Whereas you have denominationalism and you have uh, you know, what is referred to as churches, the Baptist church, Methodist church, Catholic church, Presbyterian church, all the, these mainstream churches. And, and, you know, people look at that, well, it's a church, and they just simply think that since it is a church, that it would be, you know, a part of the Lord's body. But yet, it, it, you know, denominationalism is either too big to be a local congregation because it's a group of congregations, or it's too small to be the body of Christ because it, it's, it's a division. It is a, uh, a group that doesn't make up the whole. 
And that's, that's, you know, ways in which the new Testament doesn't use that word at all, but the devil has come along and confused the idea of either the universal body of Christ or a local congregation and use this term to represent, um, you know, all these various man-made religious groups. And while, you know, technically you could say, well, it is a group of people as, you know, as Josh pointed out, you know, dividing up people by, you know, color of hair. Uh, but yet when you look at how the scriptures use the term church, uh, first of all, it, it, you know, denominationalism would deny, you know, the, the idea of how the scriptures use the term church and, and is in direct conflict with it. I want to add though, that we do see the concept of denominationalism in the new Testament. And it's found in first Corinthians chapter one, where Paul says the Corinthians have divided themselves to the point where they, claim to be of Apollos, of Cephas, of Christ, of, of Paul. And, and Paul says, that's wrong. That, that's not right. No. He says, we're not different people gathering under different banners. He says, we're one people in Christ. And, and so that's, the seed of denominationalism is there. And Paul says, get rid of that. There's no division in Christ. And that's what I have seen. Many people have used like Chris, Chris was mentioning. I've seen many people try to say promoting unity and diversity, basically that it doesn't matter where you go to church, as long as you're going to church, you know, because Christ, uh, Christ church has many bodies or something of that nature. I've heard them say that. And so it doesn't matter if you're Baptist, doesn't matter if you're Methodist, doesn't matter what denomination you are, as long as you're going to church. And uh, again, that, that feeds into a, a misconception of what uh, the Lord's, how the Lord identifies this church in the scriptures. And yeah. we need to be willing to, uh, to do that if we want to be part of that church that Jesus built. You know, uh, I built houses for many years. And when I, uh, when I started to build a house, I had a blueprint. I had a plan. And I followed that plan. And when, when we finished that house pretty much looked like the blueprint. I mean, sometimes we'd make mistakes along the way and we'd have to, you know, cause we're men and we'd have to fix something. But for the most part, it looked exactly like that blueprint. And Jesus had planned to build his church. And so it's important for us to follow the pattern, you know, mm -hmm. the pattern that he laid out so that we can identify it because absolutely today there's a lot of people calling themselves the Lord's church. And so we need to be able to pull out that blueprint and be able to look and find out which church is the one that Jesus built. And that blueprint is found in the new Testament. Yeah. You know, Ephesians chapter one, verses 22 and 23 says that Christ has been made head over all things to the church, which is his body. And in that same book, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4, says there is one body. And then the very next chapter, Ephesians 5, uh, there, it, 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 he is the Savior of the body. And, and so, you know, that body is the Lord's church, that church that he promised to build and, and did build from Matthew 16, verse 18, that Richard referred to. And... And, and that's why we need to look at it. We need to start using these terms the way the Bible uses them and understand them in that very way. Otherwise, we get 
caught up in, in just promoting the confusion that allows denominationalism to thrive. Chris, we got a comment. David Stamberski writes in, I have talked to members of churches of Christ who believe there are saved people in all denominations. I think that way of thinking is growing. Well, it's been that way for a while now, but, uh, yeah, if something works, you don't want to stop. You don't want to stop using it. If you're, um, wanting to, uh, promote something false. So, yeah, I mean, you know, the idea of, you know, being a part of, you know, it, I, I like the illustration where, uh, you know, if, if, if the church was this rock, right, which the, the term rock is often used even by Jesus in, in Matthew 16. But if, if God took this rock and, and, you know, it, it has a certain shape, a certain color, certain markings, identifiers, and he put it in a bucket and he said, listen, you know, everyone who finds this rock, this, this church, you know, and, and holds on to it, you know, will be saved. Well, what's the best way for the devil to uh, keep people from finding that rock? Well, fill that bucket with similar rocks, with similar things, similar items that, that look very similar, that have a similar shape, you know, but the thing about it is when the devil does it, there's going to be various markings that are different. There's going to be, you know, some differences that, that um, while it may be 90% looking the same, that 10% will get you. That 10% will keep you from the truth, from that one true God built rock. And, uh, and that's what the devil does. He has filled this world with deception and, you know, if we grab hold of that deception and accept it, then, um, you know, we're, we're not holding on to the truth. And if we don't love the truth, we will be lost. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse 14, um, you know, we'll perish because we don't have a love of the truth and the love of the truth, you know, it will discover and we'll know what truly is the Lord's church as opposed to denominationalism. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's look at another term, unless you guys have something else on the word church that you want to talk about. Uh, no, I'm nah. Okay. <laughs> well, let's, and I don't know if there's a particular word you guys want to get into, but very quickly, I, I, let's talk about the word pastor for just a minute, because here, this is probably one of the most used and abused terms in the religious world that, that I hear so often uh, in, in talking about, uh, preachers, you know, using the term pastor. And, and that this is usually a red flag when someone comes in, you know, uh, you know, claim, you know, usually people come in desiring, you know, asking for, for money, they're wanting some type of help and, and they want to talk to the pastor. And, and usually that's pretty much a good indication that they're, they're not familiar with the Lord's church or, or, um, you know, what the Bible teaches concerning, you know, the difference between pastors and preachers and, and what the term pastor actually is and how it's used in the scripture. You know, we think of pastor, in, in which is also the term shepherd. And, and that's a very specific group of people in the New Testament. Uh, you know, just in fact, that term is used with two other terms. And, and I, you know, technically we could say six terms, um, you know, you have pastor, which is the same as shepherd. You have bishop, 
which is the same as, um, is it, I think, presbyter. And then you have overseer, which is, oh, man, I'm losing my, I'm losing my thought. <laughs> uh, but you, you've got these terms that are used, right? Elder, elder and, presby uh, and bishop, and then overseer and, and presbyter. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Something so, like that. Something like that. Yeah. So, um, so th those are the terms that are used to describe this specific group of men. And we're not talking about preachers. We're talking about a men that have a, a specific role in the local church as, as leaders and overseers of a local congregation. And then of course you have preachers, Ephesians chapter uh, four, verse 11, he says he gave some to be uh, apostles, some prophets, some pastors, uh, some evangelists, and some teachers. And, and so evangelists would be your preachers, and pastors would be those who uh, serve as elders or bishops of a local congregation. But they come in and they talk about, you know, pastoring a local church. And and usually those churches that refer to those men who are a man who is pastoring a local church, they have one. And again, that goes against what the scriptures teach concerning, you know, the role of a pastor. I want to say about that, whether we're talking about apostle, prophet, pastor, shepherd, elder, deacon, evangelist, preacher, whatever, um, None of those are titles. That's right. And I think, you know, in our country, we've got the president, we've got the vice president, we've got senators, we've got representatives. And, you know, that's kind of their position. That's kind of their title. They, they are a representative or a CEO or something like that. Um, in the New Testament, you don't find titles. And that's why Jesus condemns the use of titles. Don't call any man father, things like that. Um their descriptions. That's what they are. They're describing who this person is and what it is that they are doing. Uh, you have the idea of an apostle. The apostle was the ones that were chosen by God to be the, the messengers that would spread the word, the word throughout the world and the, reveal the message to the world. Prophets are those who've been given a message. Um, pastors are the shepherds, those who do the shepherding of the Lord's people. The evangelist is the one who it evangelizes or spreads the good news. Uh, so I think that's an important distinction that those are descriptions rather than a title that's been given. But even though it is a description, there is such thing as the office of a shepherd or an elder or pastor or bishop or all those words that Chris was saying there. <laughs> Um, and those are specifically described in First Timothy three, Titus chapter one. Uh, we find them referenced again in First Peter chapter five. Uh, those uh, there there are specific qualifications that these men must meet in order to serve a congregation uh, as a pastor uh, or as a shepherd. Uh, and so uh, there, it's not just one who has been called to preach or, or one who preaches before a congregation, although a shepherd ought to teach, uh, there's a, a much deeper role that a, a pastor has as opposed to simply an evangelist. Yeah, absolutely. Richard? Well, I think the application of this misconception of the meaning 
is what uh, we need to look at. Now, is it a common thing? Absolutely. You guys pointed that out. And uh, I was uh, preaching down in Tulsa, and I went out to eat after services with the brethren. And, uh, they were, they had a, you know, the different meals were presented, you know, before, you know, you go through the line, order what you want, but they had, uh, some mock versions of the dinner that you could order. And one of them was called the pastor plate and the, uh, elder, he, he was like, well, that's, that's for me, the pastor plate. And, uh, and he's right. I mean, it's, it's talked about in Jeremiah pastor is a shepherd, but, uh, you know, it was, it was just funny because of the way the person who was listening understood that because now they're thinking that he's the preacher, the minister, but, uh, that's not, that's not the way the Bible describes it. And the problem comes in is when a man wants to be a diatrophies and he wants to take over the role of a shepherd, an overseer, an elder, bishop, whatever as the preacher and he starts putting that role on top of his job as just a minister or an evangelist. And the problem is this is common. This is very, very common. I have people today who call me pastor, mm -hmm. but that's not what I am. I am a minister. You know, I'm an evangelist. I am not a pastor. In fact, I don't even fit the qualifications to be a pastor. And so I have to make sure that people understand, and even when I perform my duties, that I am not performing the duties of an overseer. I am just performing the duties of an evangelist. And, and that's important because if someone tries to usurp the authority of elders by saying that they are a pastor or an overseer, and the people go along with that because that's the way they understand the meaning. Then now he can do things that he does not have the authority to do. And that's the real danger with this, but that's what you see taking place, uh, in many, uh, uh, you know, bodies of people across this country that meet in denominational or even non-denominations, they will listen to the preacher uh, instead of looking toward the uh, overseers as the uh, to guide the, the to guide the flock, yeah, you know um, there's a comment here that oh, yeah. uh, we could touch on. Uh, Fred, uh, I, I believe it's Fred. Um, Fred Sievers uh, says, "Aren't all Christians ministers? Not a title for an evangelist. Institutional brethren use the minister uh, use minister across the board for evangelist." I think that's a good point. Uh, whether we're talking about minister, uh, minister just simply means servant or serve one who serves. Uh, ministry is just talking about service. Um, so that that's a role that we all have as Christians. We're all to be ministers to those in that we serve others. Um, evangelist, we all have a responsibility to spread the good news as an evangelist would. And so it's not necessarily the guy who gets up in the pulpit on Sunday morning and, 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 preaches a message from the word of God, uh, we can be evangelists as we go out and share the word of God with our friends and neighbors. And so again, it's not a, a title as much as it is a, 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 a description of the one who spreads the good news. And I, I emphasize that quite a bit. We are all evangelists or ought to be evangelists in some way. 
in the sense that we share the word of God with others. Second Timothy chapter two, verse two, you know, says to commit these things that you've heard to faithful people that they may go out and teach others also. And so in, in that sense, administering to others, the, you know, the good news of the gospel of Christ. So absolutely. Um, you know, but the, the, the idea though, uh, it, it, it seems some to some, I think it, this seems to be kind of trivial. This seems to be something that is kind of minor, but here's why I would say that that's not the way we should approach this. We need to understand the importance of this because if if that's minor, what you're doing is you're diminishing. And I think Richard kind of alluded to this in many ways. the The idea of what uh, role is being described by that term pastor. It is a descriptive term, and there's a certain role that men have to fulfill as pastors of a local church. And while preachers can serve as elders or pastors, uh, and have a dual role uh, with other men in the congregation. Um, you know, when you take on the work of a pastor, that is something that is very specific to a group of men. And and if we d- begin to diminish that or apply that to a, diff- a different role, I mean, that's what we have with this gender fluid movement around us when it comes to, well, who's a man and who's a woman? And how do you define that? You know, and we're thinking, you know, like what, how did we get to this point? Well, here's where it began. I mean, this is, this is kind of, you know, what that can lead to when we start misusing these terms and, and, and how they are used and how they affect the role of, of what men and women are doing in the local church, then, you know, you've, uh, you've just led to, uh, more serious, even more serious issues of not even being able to determine what is a man or what is a woman. And so it, it, it certainly leads to other issues and other, other problems, uh, even outside the church. It, but, you know, even with pastor, you've got the term elder, which, you know, the Mormons use elder, which I mean, just in the very word English language itself talking about someone who's older and you've got 18 to 20 year olds running around calling themselves elders. Um, and, and most people laugh and, and, you know, kind of dismiss that, but it, it leads to the misuse of these other terms that we're talking about. Absolutely. Yeah. My, actually my next door neighbors are Mormon elders. <laughs> and I think I'm, I'm at least the, they, they kind of switch them out every so often and the two yeah. that I've talked to, I think I was older than both of them. <laughs> yeah, I want to, I want to, I put it up here a minute ago, but Fred went on to say, yes, you are not the minister at such and such a uh, congregation. And, uh, and he's, you're, he's right. We, we are a minister of, of the Lord's church, uh, because everyone is ministers. And so he's, he's right about that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, and there's, again, there's so many other terms that we could look at that people abuse and misuse um, and, and try to redefine. And, and sometimes it's not even necessarily redefining. I don't necessarily think we need to spend much time on the word faith, but at the same time, you know, the people, you know, ask the question, what faith are you? which just flies in the face of, of the scriptures, you know, this system of belief, the idea that 
the Bible says in Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6, there is one faith. You know, the, the idea that uh, we would even, you know, ask the question, what faith are you, or I'm of this faith, you know, it shows us that we don't truly understand and we're not looking at the scriptures, you know, to find out, you know, how these words are used and what God intends uh, when it comes to uh, faith, when it comes to uh, the role of, of pastors or evangelists or, or the role of, of or, or what is a, a church, a local church or the body of Christ. I mean, all of these terms that we can look at and so many more, you know, it it's important for us to look to the scriptures and not just take face value uh, the way the religious world around us are using them. You know, I don't, I'm not, it's not that I'm going to disagree with you here, but as far as the word faith is concerned, yeah, um, I do think that that's been abused in, in the religious world. Uh, and, and the reality is I think it's been stripped down to bare bones and it's, it's been reduced to, it's been shallowed uh, to yeah. the point that it, it really means, doesn't mean what it says it's, what it's supposed to mean in the new Testament. And again, that's one of those words that was used in the new Testament, new Testament times uh, outside of a religious context. That was just a normal word. Uh, we don't use faith much secularly today. I, I don't go talking about faith or saying faith much. Uh, but if you look at the the um, Martin Luther's five solas, like the sola scriptura, uh, sola gratia, sola grace, or grace only, uh, sola uh, scriptures alone, uh, the one for faith is sola fide, which is where we get the word fidelity. And I know we don't have that a whole lot today in our um I, I mean, I, I haven't. I don't know that I've heard that recently in the weddings that I've been to, uh, where couples pledge their fidelity uh, to each other. But I remember that used to be part of wedding vows. Uh, you pledge your fidelity to your spouse, and in reality, the word that's translated faith in the New Testament is used in reference to God at times, and so it it means far more than simply belief. Is my point? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and I want you to to dig through the New Testament and read the word faith or belief. Uh, think of it with the content concept of allegiance or fidelity or loyalty. It gives you a far deeper meaning to the word than simply, oh, I just believe in God. Uh, it means so much more. And, and, and again, what Satan's doing is he's uh, sh making it so shallow that all it is is belief. Now, does faith have a context of belief? Absolutely. But that's just the bare minimum. Yeah. And that belief in God leads us to a fidelity uh, where I'm completely and totally loyal to him above all else. And that gives us so much more meaning uh, to the way the term is used in the New Testament. But it does. We understand when people ask that question of what faith are you? We understand how they mean that. Yeah. And it, and it is an opportunity to use their definition, uh, to lead them to Jesus. I mean, you can open that up by just simply replying, you know, I am of the one faith and, and you yeah. know, that may, you know, they may have one. What are you talking about? Never heard of that. Yeah. And, and so then you can expound upon that. And, but, uh, you know, 
I knew a preacher one time who always started off his lessons defining terms. And he would try, you know, whatever he was preaching on, he it was if it was a biblical term, he would try to define it in a biblical way because he had found in, in all his years of preaching, and, and when I came across this man, he was an older man, but when, when, when he was preaching, he found out that understanding of, of terms was the biggest problem with uh, uh, communicating. And so it was important for him to define these words right up front, right at the beginning of each lesson, so that he knew he was perfectly conveying the thought that he was trying to get across to the audience, because there are those who have a different meaning to different words, and that can lead to other people misunderstanding. Uh, if you're coming from the world of denominationalism, for instance, and you go visit a church of Christ, it's, it's very possible that you're going to listen to the sermon and you may come away with a different meaning based on the words that the preacher used. And so, yes, it is important then for a Christian to understand how the world uses these terms and then to be able to use that understanding to be able to provide correction. I often do that myself, actually. Uh, in many of my terms, I'll define my terms as I begin. And because I, you know, I think you're right there because I can mean you know, even in a just a general conversation, uh, I may have an idea in mind, and you know whether it's a word or phrase, I'm I know what I mean by it, but they mean something completely different. And so if we don't, you know, I can say something. Well, well let's just think about it from a Calvinistic standpoint. You know, I, I can say something about uh, you know election. And I can mean what the Bible says about election, but the Calvinist has some completely different concept there. And so if we're, uh, when we define terms, that's where really the disagreement comes in. And that's where a lot of debates fall through is the trying to define the terms in the propositions uh, to get something that both people can agree on as far as uh, their, their debate topic. Yeah. Yeah, terms like predestination, election, mm -hmm. all all these terms, you know, are are used in various ways. One other one that I want to talk about, if it's our, if you guys are ready to move on to one more other word, or at least one more, uh, is is the term fellowship. And this goes back to one of the things that Josh said earlier. How the 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 root of this word is, is one that was just in the common language. In fact. The, the idea of when we look at what Greek language the New Testament was written in, we say koine Greek, meaning common Greek. Well, the word koine is the very root of the term fellowship, common, having in common, sharing in common. And so it, it was a, a, a term in the Greek language that uh, was pretty broad. But when it comes to the New Testament, uh, the New Testament scriptures, and the use of this term, um, it it really narrows it down to, uh, you know, our spiritual relationship and sharing in common, uh, you know, our our work and our love and our our devotion to Christ. First John one seven. Well, First John one six and seven. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness. We lie and do not practice the truth, and we walk in light as he is in the light. 
We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Well, that sounds like that word fellowship is important uh, in, in uh, in those two verses. And so if we're going to claim to have fellowship, then, yeah, it's important then that we understand what each other means by that term. And it's important, first of all, to find out exactly what the Bible means by that term. And I, I think that you were talking about, uh, 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 well, I, I'll just go ahead. But the best definition I've ever heard of fellowship is when you think of a ship and that ship's going somewhere and you got some fellows in that ship and they have to work together to get from point A to point B. And that's fellowship right there. Uh, men who have that in common, they are working together to, to, uh, uh, and, and basically serving the Lord and, and that's fellowship. And, and likewise, we have fellowship with God, uh, while we are serving him. And I heard a preacher explain that one time, and I thought that was a very good definition. But uh, like you said, there's preachers, denominational preachers, as well as those outside of the Lord's church that have changed the meaning of that word and have uh, added things into fellowship that has nothing to do with the service to God. And and that's the, the problem that we have is when we start doing things in the name of fellowship that has nothing to do with the service to God, or if it's his service to God, it's something that's not authorized. Yeah. Um, going back to that, that verse you were pointing out there in first John chapter one, where it talks about, we have fellowship with God. That's where fellowship starts. And I think we need to emphasize this point that fellowship begins with God. We are in fellowship with God or we are not in fellowship with God. And, and as far as uh, what, what you read there in First John, he says, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is holy and there he's which set apart. He's so set apart from evil and, and wickedness and darkness that he cannot behold that which is evil and, and dark and, or in darkness and, uh, and, and sinful unholy. And so that means if I want to have fellowship with God, I can't be unholy or walking in darkness. And so I have to walk in the light in order to maintain fellowship with God. I cannot have a commonality with God. I can't have fellowship with God. I can't share in good things with God if I'm walking contrary to him. And then that's going to extend to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Our fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ depends upon our fellowship with God. I cannot have fellowship with somebody who's walking in darkness, just like I can't have fellowship with God if I'm walking in darkness. And so we need to, I think we need to take seriously this concept of a fellowship because it, it's a serious thing. And in Second John verses 9 through 11, John writes that, if we abide in the doctrine of Christ, we have both the Father and the Son. If we transgress and go beyond it, he says, we do not have God. Uh, but he goes on to say, if somebody does not bring this truth or these truths, he says, you don't bring them into your home. Don't even eat with them, he says, because to do so, you participate in their evil deeds. And so fellowship is an important concept in, in the New Testament. And 
it, it's something that's based upon our relationship with God, and we need to make sure that we are only enjoying or extending fellowship to those who are also in fellowship with God. Yeah. Uh, but then I think perhaps Chris had a, 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 some other ideas as well in mind as far as the, uh, the secular concept of fellowship as well. Well, I do, because sometimes we confuse the two. And, and here's where the danger. I mean, one of the things that Richard has kind of kept us on track on, and I appreciate, you know, is like, well, what does this mean? I mean, why are we even talking about this? How is the devil using this? Well, the, you know, we start talking about, you know, uh, sharing a meal, right? I mean, the word is secularly is sharing in common. Right. But the Bible wants us to use, you know, and uses this term in, first of all, to represent the fact that we are sharing in Christ, sharing in our relationship with God. Well, when we start using the term, you know, in the secular sense, what begins to happen then is the church begins to engage in secular activities and calling it fellowship. And, and that's where the, we begin to distort the work of the local church because we're engaging in secular activities that have nothing to do with the work of the church under the idea or the guise of fellowship, you know, fellowship meals. And sometimes brethren will even pray, you know, and be thankful for the opportunity we have to fellowship together and, and, and kind of confusing the term. And while, again, the term has a secular sense, I understand that, but what begins to happen though is we we bring in that secular activity and work to the work of the church under the guise of fellowship and we begin to distort and and act without authority for the local church absolutely i think if we think about fellowship in the broadest sense of the definition as far as share is you're muted josh yep it looks like mic unplugged there for a second. But eating a meal together, according to the broadest definition, would be a form of fellowship. But if we're talking about Bible fellowship, it's always, always centered around the gospel of Christ. And it's never used in the sense of sharing a meal together except for one meal, uh, which is the Lord's Supper. Uh, that is our fellowship meal as we're communing together with our brothers and sisters in Christ and with the Lord. But fellowship is never used, biblically speaking, in reference to the sharing of a meal or uh, going out and playing a ball game together or whatever. It's hey, John, I, I, I sorry to interrupt you real quick, but you're, you've switched mics or something in, in the uh, uh, in StreamYard. Something's happened to your mic. So it's really difficult to understand you right now. There we go. How's that? Yeah, that's there you go. <laughs> well, I don't know. So for some reason, it said my mic was unplugged, and and so yeah, didn't mean well. to interrupt you, but it was it wasn't really intelligible <laughs> listening to you. And, and that's not just from your normal talk either. That's actually because of the mic. <laughs> you want me to say it again? I don't remember what I said. No. <laughs> Well, we got some comments. You want me to read some of yeah, these? Yeah, go ahead, because it's it's we're we're definitely past our normal time anyway. All right, uh, Fred Belinda Severs. I, I guess it's Fred Severs in his book, The Bible Doctrine of Christian Fellowship. Robert Taylor, highly respected scholar among institutional brethren, states that the word is always used in a spiritual sense. We do not get together and eat at a member's house when preaching at a gospel meeting. 
then say we had some great fellowship at the Johnson house tonight. The roast was awesome. Hence fellowship all. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I think that's, that's kind of what I, I was getting at. I mean, the way we use that term, because then it, you know, if, if that's how we begin to use it, then pretty soon the church is engaged in those things and, and, and paying for it and doing it all uh, within the guise of the local church, which in the scripture, there's no authority for. David Stamberski asks fellowship halls in the building. I think we covered that mm -hmm. uh, fellowship halls anywhere. Uh, it, it's has, if you want to call it an auditorium where brethren get together and sing a fellowship hall, then that's, you know, that's, I yeah. guess it's, it, it depends on what is authorized uh, and what is not. And uh, I know what David means by this. He's talking about the fellowship halls where they get together and, and eat is what uh, he's talking about. Yeah. Uh, Chris Kramer, first Corinthians one, nine through 10. God is faithful by whom you were called into the faithful fellowship. I'm sorry. You were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. Good passage. If yeah. we are in Christ, then we are in fellowship with one another. If we are divided in doctrine, etc., there is no fellowship. And then, uh, Fred, of course, this is, I think he was talking about, uh, 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 Josh, when he was talking about the, the communion, he said exactly the word communion mm -hmm. is, yeah, okay, so we got this. All right. Yeah, yeah, first Corinthians, um, uh, 12, uh, uh, or maybe even 10 talks about, yeah, verse, uh, chapter 10. Um, when we partake of the, the bread, we're communing with Christ. That, that's the word fellowship. That's, you know, mm -hmm. um, that, that's the idea of fellowship, sharing, partaking uh you know together yeah that's that's the idea but it's always in a spiritual sense so all right well well josh any last thoughts on today's program it's important uh to use bible terms in bible ways the way the bible uses it and and i think it's it's equally important that we understand it in the way that the bible uses it yeah. um so i think it's important to i think that's where some word studies can be important whether we're talking about church pastor evangelist shepherd, deacon, uh, faith, grace, uh, fellowship, whatever, uh, just looking at how it's used in the New Testament and even more important, how it's not used in the New Testament is going to go a long way to help us to understand biblically uh, what the scriptures are talking about. So uh, yeah. learning how to, to speak or think the way the Bible thinks is, is important to speaking the counsel of God. Yeah, that's right. All right, Richard, last thoughts. I think it's important for us to understand the ways of our adversary and in doing so we didn't even, you know, we haven't even touched everything that, uh, the devil uses. But one thing I want to point out, this kind of goes along with, uh, what we were talking about, uh, this morning. And that is when Jesus went up to be tempted by the devil, how did he respond to those temp temptations? Each time he was tempted, he, he rightly used, he quoted scripture, it is written, and he was doing so rightly. And so that's, that's what we need to emphasize when we're looking at the ways of the devil. We can understand his ways, 
But the only way we're going to withstand the temptation, the, the ways of the devil, is to be able to rightly divide the word of truth and use it. And, and so understanding exactly uh, uh, the means by which the devil is going to come at us, yes, that's important. But it's also important to prepare yourself for battle, and that is through Bible study. Yeah, very good. All right. Well, folks, we appreciate everybody who tunes in, who comments. Uh, and again, if uh, you're interested in listening to this in a podcast format, be sure and search your favorite podcast app for Berean Spirits. If you're on Apple I, uh, Apple uh, Podcast app, uh, you can search uh, for Carney Church of Christ and should be able to find us there as well. Uh, but I know we're on Spotify and Google and um, Amazon. Amazon. That's what I always forget. Uh, Amazon podcast. So uh, be sure and look for us uh, there as well. And of course, email us if you've got a, uh, an, a podcast app that you want us to be on. Email us. Let us know. Spirits at gmail.com. And, uh, and Rich will get that information and we'll do our best to try and get on that platform as well. And until next time, remember, search the scriptures with Berean Spirits. Well, folks, that's all for today. Don't worry. Lord willing, the guys will be back next week for another Bible study on Berean spirits. Until then, let the guys hear from you. Drop them some email at bereanspirits at gmail.com. They'd love to hear from you. Until next time, keep studying that Bible.